The tour content from now through Lagwa Omer has been generously sponsored by Malki M. Thank you, Malki. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shiurim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and gain access to additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishneweis.substack.com and signing up today. Okay, so this is our normal Thursday night Pirkei Avos here, but we're doing something that has to do with uh, uh, indirectly has to do with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and uh, Sarah's Maid Shuva. Okay. And I'll explain what I mean by indirectly. So, uh, oops. Um, so uh, we're not going to read through this part in depth. This is just like intro stuff. Uh, this is in the Ramam in Hilchus Shuva Paragimel. So we're familiar with the general concept of how there is a certain weighing that goes on of your merits and iniquities on Rosh Hashanah. And uh, if you're found to be a Tzaddik, then you are sealed for life. If you are found to be a Russia, Okay, tzaddik in judgment, you're, you're, you're sealed for life. If you're found to be a Russia in judgment, you're sealed for death. And then the Benoni person in the middle hangs in the balance to Yom Kippur. Uh, Ramam says if he does tshuva, he's sealed for life. If he does not, then he's sealed for death. Okay, so that's that's in the context of how God judges the world. Then we have the famous message about the shofar, how the shofar is telling us to wake up. Okay, uh, it's as if it's saying, wake up, wake up, you sleepers from your sleep. Be roused, you deep sleepers from your deep sleep. Analyze your actions, return in tshuva, and rem- remember your creator. These are the people who forget reality due to the temporal hevel, you know, vanity, nonsense, futility. And they spend their whole year immersed in hevel and emptiness, which neither benefits them nor saves them. Look into your souls, improve your ways and your deeds. And each one of you should abandon your evil way and your thoughts, which are not good. Okay. Then he segues and says, therefore, each person needs to see themselves the whole year as if they were half innocent in this verdict and half liable. And that's a point that I feel like um, people are generally aware of that you should view yourself as a banoni. But I feel like people think that you should view yourself as a banoni during this time, you know, and that is true. But the Ram saying that there's a reality that all year you should view yourself as a banoni. Okay. And also the whole world as though they're half innocent and half liable in judgment. Okay. Then he says, what's the practical ramification? If he commits one sin, he tilts himself and he tilts the whole world to the side of liability and causes destruction. If he does one mitzvah, he tilts himself and tilts the whole world to the side of merit and causes salvation for them uh, and being saved. Okay. Now I have a, uh, 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 an interpretation of this. Uh, but that's not what this year is about. Okay. Uh, this is just the lead into what this year, what inspired this year. Then he says, and because of this idea, uh, because of this idea, all the house of Israel is, uh, oops, increases in Sadaka and in good actions and is involved in mitzvos, uh, sorry, and involvement in mitzvos. Uh, from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur, more than all the days of the year. So you've got this chain, okay? You've got, there is a judgment that goes on on Rosh Hashanah. You've got the shofar on Rosh Hashanah tells you to wake up, okay? Which is really a message about how you should relate to your whole year. Because of that, you should really view your whole year as though you're half and half and one thing can tip the balance. And then because of the hyper-awareness of that idea, on the Rosh Hashanah and the Yisrael's Mechuvah. Therefore, Klai Yisrael uh, is accustomed to increase their mitzvahs and their masim tovim during these uh, this time more than all the rest of the year. Okay, so that is an idea I was thinking about, and that's what led me to choose this year. This year is really aimed at, at I guess, reinvigorating your practice of mitzvahs, <laughs> okay, uh, and uh, and giving you a hopefully a new framework to, uh, to do mitzvahs and uh, avoid averos. And when I say new, so I, you know, it, it gets hard with all of the uh, the students I've taught uh, 
to keep track of these things, but I wrote an article 10 years ago. Okay. And so it's, it's buried there in the, in, in the blog. And I don't think I've given this over in any form uh, in terms of, of a sheer. So hopefully this is new to you. If you somehow encounter this, then it'll be a review. And then as normally happens, I ended up preparing this and then come, came up with a completely uh, other approach also, okay? And the structure of this year is going to go like this. We're going to start off by reading the Mishnah like we usually do, asking questions like we usually do. Okay, then the idea I came up with the first time was based on the Rambam. So we're going to go through uh, uh, some Rambam's and Hilkos Tshuva to come, come up with the idea and then go to the, what I think the Rambam is saying. But then what happened, what I realized is that my Rambamic intuition I think led me to interpret the Rambam not according to his own text. And then I found another of the Mepharshim who I think gives a very much more Rambami type explanation. So hopefully we're going to get two and they're all going to like be centered around Hilkos Chuva. But we'll, I, I'm hoping we're going to walk away with two like main approaches to this Mishnah. Okay, that's that's the game plan. Okay, let's see what happens. Okay, very short Mishnah in Avos in the normal numbering that we have in the Sidurim. It's uh, chapter four, Mishnah 11. Okay, uh, so Rebbe Eliezer... Okay, every, everything else I've translated, but uh, I like translating this live. Okay, Rebbe uh, Eliezer uh, Ben Yaakov Omer says, okay, Ose mitzvah achas, a person who does one mitzvah, kana lo proklit echad, has acquired for himself one. Okay, anyone know what a proklit is? Okay. Mm. You could tell when it has so many letters and no obvious Russian. This is clearly one of those like Greek loan words. Okay. Um, so we're just going to say proclete for now. The Raman will define what that means. Okay. Over um, Avera Achas and one, uh, a person who transgresses one, uh, I, uh, I guess we say commits one transgression, commits one transgression. Kana lo kategor echad has acquired himself one. Okay. You know what a kategor is? That one is this in Katekar Nasek Snegar or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a phrase that's exactly the phrase that I I was hoping someone knew. You know what a Katekar is, though? It's like a prosecutor or a prosecutor. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna actually type both of them. Okay, one Katekar, okay, uh, which is either uh, commonly translated as a a prosecutor or accuser. Okay, uh, Teshuva Umasim Tovim Kitris Lifnea Puranos. Okay. Teshuva and good deeds are like a shield against uh, retributions, okay, punishments. Okay, however you want to translate that. Okay, um, yeah. Okay, so that's the uh, that's the Mishnah. All right, um, and I think I mentioned this in, in the sheer description that uh, I don't know how many of you uh, at one point or another. Uh, maybe in your childhood, we're taught this notion that like when you do a mitzvah, it produces like a good angel. Uh, and when you do a, uh, an Avera, like it produces a, uh, like a, a bad angel or something like that. If you've heard of that, I think it comes from here. Okay. Um, and you'll see why later on. Okay. Yes. Lauren. They're now saying that at least my kids hear that. Like when you do a mitzvah, it adds a brick to a mitzvah. I've heard that also. Yeah. And then when you take it away, it takes away a brick. Yeah. I always wonder how that works out architecturally. Like, do they just have like a, you know, like, I feel like if you say to an architect, hey, I brought you like 50 extra bricks, you know, and then like the next day you take away 70. Like, I feel like it's hard to build. But yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I've never seen a source for that either. Maybe that's another midrash. Okay, so what are the questions here? The questions are fairly straightforward. What would you say? What is a proclet? And yeah. how do you get one from doing this? Okay. okay, so what 
uh, uh, is a proclete, proclete, and how do you uh, get one from doing mitzvos? Okay, and I'm going to say something which is going to uh, probably sound like it doesn't matter at all, uh, but I rejoice when I found it, and um, and uh, and maybe it'll click into place. So if you look at the Mishnah in the normal text, okay, the version I think that you'll find in your normal Mishnayos is. Um, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov Omer Ha'osei Mitzvah Achaz Konelo Prakleet Echad acquires for himself one Prakleet. Okay, that's present tense. But then in the critical editions of the Mishnah, which here is the uh, Yad Kupman, okay, is in here, it says Kanelo Prakleet Echad has acquired for himself one Prakleet. Okay, so there is a there is a nuanced difference. You could just say it doesn't really mean anything. But the question is, is it that you do a Mitzvah? And then like, as a consequence of that, you get a proclete, or is it like simultaneous with the doing of the mitzvah? Like if you did a mitzvah or like, or like, I don't know, I like, there, there's some sort of temporal element involved there. And I just thought of that now because uh, Ayala was saying like, how do you get one from doing mitzvahs? So you could say, how do you get one? Or how did you get one from doing a mitzvah? <laughs> okay. I, if that doesn't make any sense, feel free to ignore it for now. I just want, I hope I circle back to that point. Okay. Similarly, the opposite question. What is a kategor, and how do you get one from doing averos? Yeah, Rivki. Yeah. Also, um, in terms of like the last line, yeah, I might just be like my view of chuva, but in general, I feel like we say chuva is like after you do something like wrong or negative. So, yeah. how does that make sense that it's saying that it's like a shield against retribution? Okay. okay. Good. So, how? Uh, so, I'm gonna put that in one question and then make a sub question. So, how are teshuva? and good deeds like a shield against retribution. And then especially tshuva, which we think of as being done uh, after an Avera, right? Uh, which would, which like, you know, warrants retribution. Is that what that was your question? Like, how can you? Uh, yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, like it okay, seems good. counterintuitive almost. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Okay, what else? Like I said, fairly straightforward questions. Uh, I guess why does it use the word poranet slash retribution instead of something else? Okay. Or yeah. like instead of like kategor or something already referenced. Okay, so let's uh let's go like this. Let's say what are um puranus uh retributions retributions. Can I just ask a question on that? Uh, yeah, hold on a second. Let me actually let me just uh, write this down. Um, what are retributions in this case? Why not like uh, you know own shim right uh, punishments? Oops, punishments or yisurin uh, afflictions right or or some other term? Yeah, Avital. Um, I was just wondering if that word because the only t- other time that I could think of it being used is like to feel out haderach where you say like praniot. I think. Uh huh. Um, but other than that, I feel like I haven't really heard it. Are there, is yeah. it commonly? Let's do a quick switch and uh, switch. Let's do a quick search and see if it's, uh, I, my intuition is that it's rabbinic. Uh, I feel like it might not be biblical. Uh, let's see. I mean, the only, the only case I know of with a short is Upara as Rosha Isha by Sota, like that, uh, puzzle about the source of the, uh, yeah, like Perua, like that. I was also yeah. wondering that was the same word. Yeah. 
But doesn't that mean like wild or unkempt? Yeah, it means like 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 un unleashed, right? Like un yeah, like un like unfurled or whatever. Yeah. So it looks like if I just do pur anus in that form, it's not a uh, a Tanakh word. Um, it looks like it's a rabbinic word. Uh, there's one new resource, by the way, um, which I uh, I talked about in another shear, uh, but I want to show it to you. So uh, I like the Altor dictionary. Um, uh, because you could just click on the word and it shows you like, you know, all the sources and stuff. Um, there's this thing that my Harusa can show me called the Klein dictionary, which is only on Sfaria. That is, um, okay. Assuming I know how to use Sfaria, which I never use. Uh, <laughs> it's a Shurashim dictionary, uh, table of contents. Oh, here we go. So let's see. I don't know if they have rabbinic. Yeah. Pira own payment of a debt formed from para with suffix forming abstract nouns from Aramaic Purana payment. Okay. So I, I do think para, okay. To cause disturbances. So it's, it's not bringing sukim. I don't know if this dictionary brings sukim. anyway. All right. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> the answer is I, I'm not, I'm not sure what the origin of the term is, uh, but it, it's a, yeah, I don't think it's a biblical term. Okay. So there's one more. Uh, anyone have any other questions? Because there's one more question I have that kind of led to the whole thing. Mm. Lauren. Um, yeah, I was wondering maybe if he's um, talking about like a specific kind of mitzvah and avera. I guess it's kind of I mean, it's saying one mitzvah and one avera, but yeah, we know that there are different levels of okay. mitzvahs and avera. So okay, so let's say like um, like this, which like like what does mitzvah mean in this context? Uh, like, um, and what exactly is the like mitzvah proclete correlation? Like, is it like a one-to-one ratio, you know? Um, uh, yeah, ditto for the other part. Okay. Okay. So the other question I have is kind of the same question I had on the share I gave this Sunday. Okay. Which is that the thing that, that drew my mind to this, uh, Mishnah, is okay. The practical implication is clear that you should do mitzvahs and avoid averos. But like, what is the practical application? You know, like, is this just saying like, okay, like do mitzvahs? You know, like th- this is what I used to call the. Um, uh, I don't know if uh, in in shall have it if we if, if my shall have students ever had uh, if we ever had a devar torah assignment. I went through like the five categories of devar torah, uh, and uh, I have a blog post about this also. But there's like the uh, there's a the light bulb, the set table the uh fluff the um bs and then poison uh those, those are the the five categories of devar torah um so fluff i remember defining fluff as a devar an alleged devar torah that you walk out after hearing it or reading it with no new ideas than, than that you had walking in right so like and we learned from here that you should do mitzvos you know so like great. Like I thought I was supposed to learn Torah, you know? So clearly he's trying to convey like some new perspective on, on Torah, uh, on, on, um, on mitzvos and averos. Right. So the question is like, what is this new perspective? This is kind of included in all the questions. Okay. But perspective on, on uh, mitzvos and averos uh, and how might this change our practice. In other words, again, Pirkei Avos is not a book on metaphysics. It's not uh, 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 about angelology, you know, not that this says it's about angels, uh, but it, it's like about ethics, you know, so this should have some ethical ramification and do mitzvot is not like a ethical ramification. 
Yeah. Oh, I forgot to say a, another disclaimer, by the way, when I was preparing for this year, I kind of just totally forgot about the second clause of the Mishnah. So I can't even, pro- we're going to read the Ramam's commentary on that. I can't promise anything on that part. Okay. Uh, but I, I just completely forgot like to analyze that part because I was so fo- focused on, on the first part. Okay. So um, I think what the best thing to do would be is instead of asking you what you think the answers are, I want to read the Ramam since that's the commentary we're going to focus on. And then after that, we'll see like what, what you guys think. Okay. So Ramam in his commentary uh, says like this, and I'm just going to read it um, in, in, in my English translation that I translated. Proclete is a person who intercedes for the good on behalf of a person before the king. But that's not such a flowy thing. Is Proclete is one who intercedes for? Oh, no, actually, no. I, I know why I translated it that way. Haish, who Haish Hamelitzov al Haadam, is a person who intercedes for good on the behalf of a person before the king and asks on his behalf. Okay, so Mavakesh Ba'ado is how Kafak translates it. Remember, the Ramam wrote the commentary on the Mishnah in Arabic, so everything we're working with is a translation. Kafak translates it as Melitz Tov Al Adam Umavakesh Ba'ado. He like you know uh, intercedes with good on behalf of a person before the king and asks for you know on his behalf. Ibn Tibon translates it as Vilamit Al He you know presents his merits. The Kategor, a Kategor is the opposite of this. Someone who informs upon a person before the king and tries to destroy him. Okay, and then we're going to read the second part, even though I don't have an idea. Amar ki achar masim raim. So teshuva after bad actions. O masim tovim mimbatchila or good actions from the outset, meaning if you, even if you haven't done bad actions. Each of these two prevent retribution and harmful occurrences from befalling a person, which is actually answering a question which we didn't uh, ask. What question uh, is the Rambam? Uh, I mean, he's answering our question about what Puranios are, but there's a question that, that the Rambam is answering that we didn't ask. The difference between Shuva and Mas and Tovin, maybe? Okay, that is true. That is true. We did not ask that. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, so how do we differentiate between teshuva and maasim tovim in this context? Okay. Uh, there is another question though. I'll give you a hint. It's on. Well, it's not much of a hint. Teshuva <laughs> umasim tovim. There's two ways to read that. Is it Mas and Tobin referred to mitzvot, basically, or? Okay, so that that I think is a good question, but I would include that in uh, in Ayala's question of uh, what is Mas and Tobin. So the uh, the question I would say is, is it Tushuva and Maasim together, or is it sorry, is it is it and or or right Tushuva plus Maasim Tovim or Teshuva or Maasim Tovim. Okay. And he's saying it's either. Okay. It's not like you need both of them in order to have a shield. Okay. So the reason why I want to read the Rambam is again, in case anyone is under the impression that these are angels. So the Rambam, um, uh, I forgot to quote one of the main sources. Okay. <laughs> I got to contrast with this with the Rambam. So the Rambam says, a proclet is a person who intercedes on behalf of, of someone. Okay. Now, why, why is everyone think Malach? Uh, because all the other commentators, well, not all of them. Let's see, does Rashi? No, Rashi doesn't. Yeah, he does. Rashi says, 
Okay, so an upright intercessor who inclines him to merit. Uh, I assume this is Ukaha de Amar, but I don't know why it's Aleph. Okay, let me see if someone else quotes the actual Pasuk. Uh, let's look at the Bar's Nura. Nope. Uh, the Vilna Gaon. Yeah, nope. <laughs> okay, well, there, he is quoting a Pasuk, which is uh, in Eov, which says, if there is one Malach Melitz, okay, which which in that context, it's an angel, okay, if one uh, intercessing, interceding angel in a thousand uh, intercedes uh, to tell a person's uprightness, okay, so a lot of Mepharshim say that this proclate is this angelic intercessor, and a Kategor is the opposite, and the Ramam specifically says it's an Ish, okay, that, that the muscle is an Ish, okay, so, yes, Alex. Um, this question might be silly, but is it that you get a proclete that, um, like, acts on behalf of all the, like, Teshuva and Nassim Tobi Midu, or is it, like, you get one per, like, thing, quote, Okay, unquote? that's actually a, a multi-pronged question here, which is, okay, I'm going to ask another question. Okay, your question presupposed that the first clause in the Mishnah and the second have to do with each other. Right. So we should ask that question. What do the two clauses of the Mishnah have to do with each other? OK. Um, in other words, the way Alex asked the question is like, are the is the proclete, um Where is it? Where to go? Yeah. Is the proclete like. Uh, you know, bringing you know, all of the true and good deeds, you know, uh, or is the proclate just about that one mitzvah? Okay. So I'll put that into the proclate question. Okay. Is, um, does the proclate, uh, relate just to that individual mitzvah or to all your good deeds, uh, and, or teshuva? That was your question, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So does anyone have, I guess, an idea, okay. Just about like what the, uh, what the muscle is of a um, of the proclate and the kategor, you know, like just to get the main idea here before we we delve into my uh, roundabout approach. It seems like a, a courtroom or something. Yes, definitely. There's like a, a trial going on here, right? Right. So the question is is what does that muscle mean, especially because you know the emphasis around, especially around this time of year, is that you know God is the judge and God doesn't need you know, uh, angels, uh, he doesn't need like, <laughs> God's not going to be swayed by defense attorneys and prosecutors, you know, and he also doesn't need, you know, what, what exactly does that mean that they intercede on your behalf? Like someone's going to argue to God that you're uh, not as, you're, you're not as bad as you think. Like, you know, we have to like decode that muscle. Oh man. <laughs> uh, sometimes the sheer Rearranges itself in the middle. Yeah, Ayala. Maybe can it be like counteracting the idea that we see ourselves as like just like like our actions are our actions, and then when we do mitzvot, like plus plus plus. But it's saying that like every action has either a like a someone coming for I forgot the words like a take a prophet or a kategar, and like each action is either furthering one way or another. Interesting. Tell me the first view again. Um, kind of just like that we necessarily exist. And then like 
when we do good actions, that's good. Okay. Um, and the second one is that it's that there's a individualized. Yeah. Like more specific, like, yeah. like every single action. Ha- I don't know if that's like such a new idea, really. I don't know if that's like, I know I, I hear, I hear where you're getting that from the thing. Yeah. I think it needs to be developed a little bit more, uh, especially with the courtroom, uh, Marshall, right? Like, I feel like there are mm-hmm. probably ways to convey that without like this very specific uh, imagery of like someone who's slandering you to the king and someone who's like making an argument on your behalf to the king. Yeah, Tamar? This is not like a full answer. I'm just noticing a difference between this and, and what the Rambam says about like your um, your mitzvot, like meaning you look closer to the other one. That, that oh, the, yeah, yeah. That the actions here are like seem like they're like active entities as ah, opposed to being okay. like on a scale. Okay, that's good, right? Yeah. Okay. Good. So in the Rambam's muscle, which I'm sure comes from Puzzle also, the the mitzvahs are, are like objects, you know, and the various are like objects, and there's a scale, and it could tip you one way or the other, and that's the muscle that he uses. Here, the mitzvahs are being personified, right, and have like a mind of their own and actions of their own vis-a-vis you, right. So that's a very very good clue. So we got the clue of the courtroom analogy, the clue of the like it is a, a, an agent that is like talking. And then, you know, uh, and then we have the idea of the individualization of each, each one is doing this, you know, which it does have in common with Rama, but that's a good point though. Okay. Yeah. Lauren. Um, I was wondering, cause I'm thinking about, I just listened to your Sunday share. So I'm wondering yeah. if like, maybe like you were saying in that share about how like God judges us, like across the trajectory of our whole lives so i'm wondering if like with this if one thing is a um like a defendant or one is a prosecutor it's kind of like maybe saying that like each mitzvah that we do builds our case for like god judging us in the course of our life so it's a little bit like um, okay each little thing is a little bit of evidence more for one way or for the other i think that's that's on the right track and uh i'm gonna just take that in a slightly different direction okay so I'm laughing here because I realized that the, like I said, the order in which I presented this followed the order in which I thought of it. And it's going to seem like we're taking a big detour. Okay. So, so just, I'm just bracing you. Okay. We're going to take a big detour, get an idea from the Rambam that doesn't seem to have to do with the detour and then get an idea that has to do with the detour, not from the Rambam. Okay. So let's, uh, let's, uh, fasten your seatbelts. Okay. Yeah. Tomorrow. Okay, sorry if it's not too late. I would say one more thing about this. Yeah, I I was noticing also kind of like what everyone else is saying that the, um, also that the mitzvah and the avera, each one is like, it sounds like it's saying something about who you totally are as a person as opposed to it being like a completely isolated um, action because it's like a prosecutor does that. Right. Is it building a picture of you as a total person? Okay, good. And that's going to be important as well. Okay. So before we do the detour, let me just show you the roadmap. Okay. Um, and uh, I think everyone should learn Hilkos Tshuva every, uh, every uh, you know, Aserashimei Tshuva. There's no better work on Tshuva that I know of other than Hilkos Tshuva from the Rambam. And uh, you should be familiar with the structure. Okay, so there are 10 chapters in Hilkos Tshuva. I'll tell the joke again because I don't think I told it to this group. Uh, first heard from Revi. <laughs> the joke is, is did the Rambam write uh, 10 chapters uh, to correspond to the 10 days of Tshuva? Or did God make 10 days of Tshuva to correspond to the Rambam's 10 chapters? Okay, but um, so uh, so the first chapter is about Vidui and Kapara. Second chapter is about Teshuva and how to do it. Third chapter is about how God judges the world and who does and doesn't have a Chelek on Lom Haba. Fourth chapter is about the 24 obstacles to Tshuva. Chapter five is about free will. Chapter six is about the um, the questions on free will from the Psukim. 
Seven is about the personality of the Baal Tshuva and Teshuva on your, your personality. Eight is about reward and punishment in Olam Haba. Nine is about um, reward and punishment in this world. And then 10 is about serve, how to serve God, okay? Serving God out of love and fear, okay? Um, and this is what the Rama means when he says in the uh, intro that um, that the explanation of this mitzvah and all the fundamental principles that are dragged along with it are in these chapters, that if you go through all those chapters, you pretty much get all the fundamentals of Judaism. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the 10th chapter in its entirety. Okay. Uh, and this is going to set up a framework for the, uh, for understanding this, this, uh, uh, Mishnah. Okay. And we're going to read through it fast. Okay. There's a lot here, but we're not going to delve into it. I want the, to focus on the big picture. Okay. And you can feel free to ask questions as we go. Okay. But, uh, but our goal is to get the, the bird's eye view. Okay. A person should not say, I will do the mitzvahs of the Torah and involve myself in its wisdom in order to receive the blessings that are written in it, or in order that I will merit life in the world to come. And I will separate myself from the transgressions about which the Torah warns us in order to escape from the curses written in the Torah, or so that I will not be cut off from the world to come. Okay, and, and this is just follows from chapter eight because the Ramam says the ultimate reward, the real reward according to the Ramam is Olam Haba, and the real punishment is Kares, okay, which is getting cut off from Olam Haba. Ramam does not have Gehenom, he doesn't hold by it at all. Um, and the Brachos and Klalos in this world, the blessings and curses, are not really reward and punishment. They're really like Brachos are like a scholarship in that they facilitate your ability to be involved in. Torah and mitzvahs, which gets you the real reward, which is Olam Haba, and the Klalos are God withdrawing the brachos and leaving you to like the uh, whatever happens, uh, and like therefore making it difficult for you to uh, to get the real real reward and kind of like putting you on the road to the real punishment. Okay, so so he's saying you shouldn't do mitzvahs for Olam Haba or to avoid uh, or to get the brachos or to avoid you know kares and to uh, avoid the Klalos. Okay, why? Okay, well, he says. It is not proper to serve Hashem in this manner. For one who serves Hashem in this manner is an Oved Meira, one who serves out of fear. Uh, which, by the way, just note: I think when I say when you say, hear the word "serving out of fear," you automatically think punishment. But in the Ramam's lingo, doing mitzvos for reward is also serving God out of fear. Okay, like he lumps it in that category. This is neither a virtue of the prophets nor of the wise. The only ones who serve Hashem in this manner are the unlearned men, women, and children whom we train to serve out of fear until their minds develop and they serve out of love. Okay, so it's it, it's a natural to start off that way, but we want to get you out of that state. Okay, again, interrupt me anytime if you have questions. We're just getting the bird's eye view. Okay, one who is Ovid Me'ahava, who serves out of love, involves himself in Torah and mitzvot and walks on the paths of wisdom, not because of anything in the world, neither out of fear of the bad nor out of a desire to inherit the good. Rather, he does, oh, this is the famous phrase, he does what is true because it is true, or if you prefer, he does what is real because it is reality. And the good will ultimately come as a matter of course. Yeah. When he says, is he referring to like Yerat Hashem? Because that's required, no? So that sounds ah, like he's okay. saying it as a negative thing. Okay, so th- that's a good question. So there is a, a excellent Drusha Saran, which we actually used in a shear recently here i can't remember which year it was uh where he deals with that question of actually i think we used it in this year so it's a drusha on yuras hashem and he dis- differentiates between the mitzvah of yuras hashem and the good kind of yuras hashem like which is part of that mitzvah the highest level of the mitzvah and then the 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 lolishma motives of yuras hashem okay um so the, the answer is is uh i don't think he's using this as um 
fear of Hashem? I, okay, it's actually, I don't know the answer to that question. I'll tell you one thing. He's definitely not saying that Yiras, that fulfilling the myths of Yiras Hashem puts you on this low level. This is what people will call, like, I think in Rabbeinu Yonah's terminology, he calls this Yiras Onesh. okay, fear of punishment. And the reason why I'm in doubt is because when he says serving out of love, he, it will be clear he's talking about love of Hashem. Okay, so, um, yeah. Yeah, so I don't have a full answer to that question. It's, I have never actually asked that question before. That's interesting. Okay, so now he describes one who serves God. Oh, yeah, Ayala. I don't know if this is too much to get into now, but like in his thing, in his examples, he's saying like neither out of fear of the bad nor desire for the good, which is like from the person, like the person is doing it out of fear and the person is doing it out of a desire. Yeah. But like the second part, he does what is true because it is true. Like kind of yeah. takes the person out of it. So like, yeah. I guess, I don't know. What does that mean? <laughs> okay. So this does get into the always fascinating question of what, is over my and what is lishma okay uh and uh i the, 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 this is a fascinating topic uh it, it is relevant but i feel like that's the uh that's like you know if we're already on a detour that's like changing your cross country road trip and like going to like yellowstone you know um so like like i would love to go to yellowstone but i also want to get to to uh to the uh, to the destination so maybe we could take a trip later on uh and explore uh, lishma um, but yeah, okay. That, that, that is good. And it's fine. Cause he does throw in the good comes as a matter of course. Okay. All right. Okay. So then he describes this level. This is an exceedingly high level and not every wise person merits it. It is the love of Avram Avino, whom the Holy one blessed is he described as his beloved, sorry, as his beloved, uh, since he only served out of love. Uh, this is the level that the Holy one blessed is he commanded us through Moshe Rabbeinu to attain. As it says, you shall love Hashem, your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your resources. And when a person loves Hashem with the proper love, he will immediately do all the mitzvahs out of love. Okay. It's that easy, uh, but it's not. Okay. Then he describes the love. What is the proper type of love? Uh, that a person will love Hashem with a great, exceedingly powerful love to such a degree that his soul becomes bound up in love of Hashem and is constantly immersed in it. Like one, like those who are lovesick, whose minds are not free from the love of that woman with whom he is constantly preoccupied. When he lies down, when he rises up, when he eats, when he drinks, love of Hashem will be even more than this in the heart of those who love him. And they will immerse themselves in it constantly as we are commanded with all your, your heart and all your resources. This is what Shlomo said by way of metaphor, for I'm lovesick. And all of Shir Shirim is an allegory for this idea. Okay, so that's serving God out of love. Okay, they introduce it. So, sorry, well, he gives examples. The early sages said, perhaps a person will say, I will learn Torah so that I will become rich, so that I will be called Rebbe, so that I will receive reward in the world to come. But the Torah says, to love Hashem your God. Everything you do, you should only do out of love. The sages also said, he desired his mitzvos, God's mitzvos, greatly. It says, his mitzvos, not the reward for his mitzvos. In other words, you shouldn't be desiring the reward. You should desire the mitzvahs themselves. Likewise, the greatest sages commanded their most insightful students who contemplated Hashem's oneness, do not be like servants who serve the master with the intention of receiving good. Uh, instead, be like servants who serve the master with the intention to not receive anything. Rather, because he is the master, it is fitting to serve him. In other words, serve him out of love. Okay, then he introduces new terminology for tshuva, but we're familiar with this, I think. Anyone who involves themselves in Torah in order to receive reward or in order to avoid retribution, this person is involved in it shalolishma, not for its own sake. And anyone who is involved in it neither out of fear nor to receive reward, but because of the love of the Lord of all the earth who commanded it, this person is involved in it lishma, for its own sake. And the sages said a person should always be involved in Torah, even Shalom Lishma, because out of Shalom Lishma, he will come to Lishma. All right, that's the famous Mitok Shalom Lishma, Balishma. Okay, therefore, when we teach the women, children, women, and general populace of ignoramuses, we should only teach them to serve out of fear 
and in order to receive reward until their minds mature and they gain additional wisdom. We should reveal this secret to them bit by bit and accustom them to this concept with pleasantness until they apprehend it, until they apprehend it and know it and serve out of love. Okay, then he, he concludes, it is an evident principle that the love of a Kaddish Baruch Hu will not be bound in one's heart unless they immerse themselves in it constantly in the proper manner and abandon everything in the world besides it. As he commanded and said, with all your heart, all your soul. I feel like he's quoted that three times so far. Uh, that is only with the knowledge with which one knows him. Uh, the love and the knowledge of God correspond with each other. If one is a little, the other is a little. If one is exceeding, the other is exceeding. Therefore, one must be exclusive. One must exclusively devote themselves to gain insight and comprehension of those sciences which make their creator known to them, according to the capacity for insight and understanding, as we've explained in the laws of the foundations of Torah. In other words, the only way to get to Avas Hashem is through knowledge of Hashem, and therefore you have to devote yourself to like gaining knowledge of the world. Okay, that's the, that is all of chapter ten. Okay, so you see from here, okay, that there are at least two like modes in which you can serve God, okay? Fear and love. Fear would be out of a hope to receive the reward and to avoid the punishment. And love is you're doing the, uh, the do what is real because it is real and the good will come on its own. Or as the Ram says in Perachelic, um, uh, um, the only purpose of truth is to know that it is true. Uh, and the mitzvahs are true and therefore their their fulfillment um their purpose is their fulfillment okay again that's a whole question ayala was asking but like what exactly does that mean okay but those are two frameworks and i'm going to argue that there is a third framework of keeping mitzvahs which is a bridge in between them okay which i would call the developmental framework okay and the developmental framework is when you are in the mode of doing things to get reward and avoid punishment, but you realize that the mitzvahs are tools to perfect yourself, okay? And I'm just gonna, again, there's lots of sources in the Raman that talk about this, but I'm just gonna show you two of them. Um, in fact, I'm just gonna show you one of them. Okay, skip this. Um, uh, the best version of it is in the Mornavuchim uh, 331, okay? He says, the sole objective of Torah is to benefit us. Every one of the 630 mitzvahs serves, uh, he's gonna say, Three purposes, okay? A, to inculcate some good idea or to remove some bad idea. B, to establish a just principle or to remove injustice. Three, to guide us in accordance with a good character trait or to warn us against a bad character trait. Everything depends on three things, ideal, ideas, morals, and social conduct. These three principles suffice for assigning a reason for every one of the divine commandments, okay? So the reason why I'm saying this is in between is because this is not a person who does mitzvos because he like imagines putting bricks into this mikdash, you know, um, or because he's like doing it for Olam Haba in a fantasy based way. And this is also not a person who is doing mitzvos entirely out of love where he's just doing it lishma. This is a person who looks at every mitzvah and says, okay, I know that this mitzvah is designed to either give me ideas, uh, promote justice in society or to give me good mitos. Okay. Or, or, you know, the other three corresponding things. And I want to use this as a tool for developing myself. Okay. Uh, and so, so if you do that, you will eventually, that's a more mature way of like, like that is Yira, but it's actually tied to what the mitzvahs are designed to do, which is to like instill these benefits. And eventually you are going to keep the mitzvahs and view them as intrinsically good and even do them even when you don't see the benefits, you know, the particular benefits. So that's why I'm calling it a bridge between Yira and Ava. Okay. Any questions on that whole spiel? <laughs> I know there's lots of questions, but but uh, any uh, any uh, questions you want to ask, and I can decide whether we'll take it up or not.
Yeah, yeah. So are you saying that um like doing the mitzvot for self-improvement would be lishma or low lishma? You're saying somewhere in the middle. I'm saying it's somewhere in the middle. I'm I actually I'll show you I'll show you exactly where it is. Okay. I think that's what the Rama means when he says when we teach the children, women and general populace of ignoramuses, we should teach them only to serve out of fear in order to receive the word until their minds mature and they gain additional wisdom. We should reveal the secret to them bit by bit and accustom them to this concept with pleasantness until they apprehend it and know it and serve out of love. That process of maturation occurs through seeing the mitzvahs as tools for your self-perfection. And the reason why I don't say it's lishma is because you still are viewing it through a utilitarian lens, you know, like how can I use this to benefit myself? And you could probably see this in your own life that when you see the mitzvah as a tool to perfect yourself, it's possible to get lishma in that. But when you don't see the reason for the mitzvah, like you kind of view it as less, you know, in some way, like I'm missing something. And I don't think the person who's doing it lishma would have that feeling, you know, uh, I think they would, they would, they would view it as like a, a, an intrinsic uh, good, even if they don't understand it. That's where I'm at right now this year. This is the thing that I changed my mind on a lot. Okay. So that's where I'm at right now. And, and in past years, I've said that, no, that is Lishma. Using it as a developmental tool is Lishma. So whichever one appeals to you. <laughs> okay. So when we go back to our Mishnah, my question is like this. Okay. There being three modes of um, keeping mitzvahs, Yura, Ava, and developmental tools. What mode is this talking about? Or where would it fall into? You know, is this in a low lishma mode where the person is, is preoccupied with the reward and punishment? Is it in a lishma mode where you're just doing what's real because it's real? Or is it in a developmental mode where this is designed to help you to use the mitzvahs as developmental tools? Seems like out of Yura to me. Okay, why? Well, it specifically says with the, the last phrase to shield against retribution ah, okay, or yeah, punishments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, so you're, you're, what you're saying is that I should have like thought about this line <laughs> when I prepared this year. <laughs> no, you're, you are right. The last part definitely does seem like that. And it, it is, it is a problem for what I'm about to say, but it's just it's so funny. I just, I completely forgot about the last line of the thing when I was preparing this year, but uh, you, you make a strong argument. You, 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 you read the Mishnah, but uh, yeah. Okay. That's a good argument. Anyone want to ignore the last line and uh, <laughs> answer it again? <laughs> no, I, I think I can make an argument for the last line also that is not is not in line with Europe, but uh, yeah. Okay, so what I want to try to suggest is a way that this is... Um, is I, I, I see, I also feel like the, the person who's doing it out of Ahava is this is not talking to i think right because i don't think they're really worried about like you know getting defense attorneys and like you know uh uh what do you call it? like i i think they're 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 just doing it because it is good not because of this like little these little guys who are produced okay and the year person also you could argue like if you want to make the full argument that yell is suggesting based on reading the words of the mishnah then um you could say that um if this is a court case, then this is relevant to like Yura because you're being judged, you know, and you're either going to like be convicted or you're going to be vindicated, you know? So like, I, I'm totally on board with that. Okay. But I want to make another argument, uh, uh, which anyone want to suggest an idea now for the, uh, Proclita and Kategor in light of, uh, this thing. 
And again, don't be misled to think that what the whole Raman we read is directly relevant to this idea. Because like I said, the idea I'm about to say, I think actually does not come from the Raman, uh, or at least is not very Rambamic. Uh, and then we're going to do one after that, that is. This is such a confusing presentation. I'm sorry about that. Okay. So here's what I think the main idea is. Okay. And um, I'm going to uh, cheat uh, and read what I wrote in the article uh, uh, 10 years ago, just the, the paragraph where I present the main idea, because I think I, I wrote it really well. And then I'm going to also cheat and I'm going to read from Joey Lichter's notes on Zichronos from a Rav Pesach Shir. <laughs> okay. And then based on that, we'll, we'll talk about the idea. Okay. So what I wrote is like this. The main idea. Now we are prepared to understand the new paradigm being proposed by the Mishnah. This new framework may be summed up as follows. Mitzvot and Averis are not only tools for development, but tools for self-knowledge. Okay. How so? Every Avera is a valuable source of feedback about who we are. Every Avera is the product of the unique and ever-changing amalgam of thoughts, feelings, ideas, values, whims, instincts, urges, desires, fears, fantasies, beliefs, and free will decisions which constitute who we are. That is what Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov means when he allegorically compares an Avera to an accuser who informs upon the person before the king and strives to destroy him. Each and every Avera proclaims our imperfections and testifies uh, to our errors before the king. Obviously, Hashem does not need anyone to inform him of anything. Rather, the metaphor of lifneha melech means from the standpoint of objective truth. Okay, like before God, meaning God's mind, so to speak, is reality. So in front of God means in the standpoint of objective truth. Likewise, every mitzvah we do is an expression of who we are and provides us with an opportunity to know ourselves. Of course, this idea is based on the premise that the same mitzvah can be performed on a number of different levels, as the Raman describes in the Guide for the Plex uh, 351. So this is getting to the point, like what I think Lauren was asking about, about like what type of a CSM mitzvah. So I, I love this. Um, I love this uh, paragraph in the Raman. We must bear in mind that all such religious acts as reading the Torah, praying, and the performance of other mitzvahs serve exclusively as the means of causing us to, to occupy and fill our mind with the precepts of God and free it from worldly business. For we are thus, as it were, in communication with God and undisturbed by any other thing. If we, however, pray with the motion of our lips and our face toward the wall, but at the same time, think of our business. If we read the Torah with our tongue, whilst our heart is occupied with the building of our house, and we do not think of what we are reading. If we perform the commandments only with our limbs, we are like those who are engaged in digging ditches in the ground or hewing wood in the forest without reflecting on the nature of those acts or by whom they are commanded or what is their objective. We must not imagine that in this way we attain the highest perfection. On the contrary, we are like those in reference to whom scripture says you are near in their mouth and far from their reins. In other words, don't think that every mitzvah performance is the same. There's a wide variety in the middle, depending on, on those three things about uh, what you're doing, who commanded it, and what the objective of what you're doing is. And that, that's going to determine the level. The highly structured, this is the end of my uh, my uh, article here, the highly structured nature of halacha allows for a greater opportunity for self-knowledge since a person will be doing the same mitzvah action time and again, thereby allowing for a side-by-side -side comparisons of different instances of mitzvah performance at different points in one's development. Okay, so that's the main idea, but I want to combine this with an idea from Rav Pesach about Zichronos, okay? And I know that we already had Rosh Hashanah, but the idea of Zichronos is as relevant as ever, okay? Um, and this is from... Joey Lichter's notes, and apparently it's notes that he scribbled down and then typed up. So pardon the, the, the note-like nature of this. Okay, I think we can still get ideas. So Rapesach said, according to Joey, the idea of, of Zichronos is to recognize who we are as opposed to what our actions may demonstrate, i.e., we do good acts and bad acts, but those acts don't necessarily reflect what we truly value. 
in Zichronos, in other words, a person does lots and lots of actions over the course of their life. But the question is, which actions really stem from your real values and which actions are like flukes or like anomalies or like based on circumstances? In Zichronos, we ask Hashem to be Zahur Latov, to be remembered for good, to disregard our bad acts in favor of what we truly value. This is who we are. We mention the Akeda as an ideal for us. We act that our bad acts should be disregarded. Oh, I want to um, um, I want to uh, elaborate on the Akeda thing. That the question is like, why do we talk about the Akeda so much in in Zichronos and in Slichos? So the Akeda is the ultimate act of Avodas Hashem, uh, you know, and demonstrates um, uh, Yiras Hashem and Avas Hashem. So. So we are never going to be in a situation where we have to do an Akeda. Okay. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's a safe bet, but what we're saying is we're saying like, look, Hashem, I value the same values that led Avraham to do the Akeda to Yitzchak. And even though I've never had the opportunity to do that, I want you to remember that as part of who I am and what I value. So the idea of Zikronos allows us to, to ask Hashem to remember us for actions that we never actually did and to forget actions that we actually did do, because we're saying that those actions that I did, I may have done them and like, I know I'm going to get punished for them, but that's not a, a part of who I am. That's not how I want you to remember me, you know, remember me for who I really am, not for like that bad day that I had, you know, uh, going back to the notes, we ask that our bad acts be disregarded, like Tashli, throw our sins into the ocean and don't be Zohar them. Don't remember them. We are not the sum total of our actions. And we, even shouldn't be limited by what we don't have the opportunity to do. We mentioned Akeda as an ideal, as well as the bris. Bris always is new reality. Okay. This is again, notes. Okay. I don't remember what this part means. Remember us as part of the bris. This is who we are. Everything expressed in bris is who we are. The other actions are just moments of weakness, but do not express our true values. Um, this, okay. This is the idea of doing humras during the Osiris Mechuvah, like pas akum, right? So that's the thing is like, we, you know, we take on extra humors doing the Osiris Mechuvah, and then we know that we're not going to do them afterwards. So it sounds like a sham, like pretending to be better than who we really are, but it expresses that these ideas are our ideal, but we're too weak to maintain it, yet we want to acknowledge it. We're trying to define ourselves by who we are and what we value. This is the Kronos and being Zachor Latov. Okay, so the just to go back now, so the idea I want to suggest is this is in the developmental framework, okay, not in pure Yira and not in pure Ava, but the idea is that this is not like the Ramam said in the Mornavukim, where you're studying the mitzvos in order to say, how is this going to perfect me? Is it through mitos, through ideas, or through justice? This is looking at each mitzvah that you've done and saying, how does this mitzvah give me feedback on what my values are and what type of person I am becoming or that I am who did it, you know? And anytime you do a mitzvah, it says something about you. And that's the personification of it. It makes an argument that you are a type of person who does this for this reason at this time with these motives. And every time you do an Avera, it also, it prosecutes you. It says, look what type of person this is who did this, you know? And I think we do have a tendency to do the mitzvah, either to do the mitzvah and be done with it, or to do the Avera and be done with it, or to be preoccupied by what we get out of it, like what perfection we get out of it, or like what imperfection this is going to like, you know, consequence we get out of it. This is like using the mitzvah as a lens of like, what does this mitzvah say about me? Or what does this Avera say about me? And like, I was talking to someone uh, today, actually, who was, who like, I was in awe of for doing real teshuva on like uh, 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 on uh, you know something they were working on like uh, yesterday, and they were describing to me the process of how they had to like go through all these arguments in their in their mind about like you know whether to do fall into this bad habit or not, 
And then they finally like chose to do the good thing and to avoid the bad thing. And the afterwards they saw like that, that's really what they truly valued, you know? And like, that's the type of, I feel like that doesn't fit squarely into the development category of like, I'm using this mitzvah to, to perfect myself. Okay. Like what's next? Like this is using the mitzvah as a way to, to like just gain self-knowledge and say, what kind of person is it who did this mitzvah? And again, because you are filled with, with thoughts and feelings and imaginations and fantasies and fears and desires and, and, and lusts and ideas and drives, and you do all these actions, there's a whole cloud of stuff that you can do this mitzvah and like reflect back on yourself and see what does this say about me, you know? Um, and that's why like, I, um, <sighs> feel like, okay, let's just leave it at that for now. Okay. Any questions or clarification on, on this idea? Yeah. Rivki. Yeah. So I really like all of those ideas and thoughts. I'm just having a little bit of a trouble, like putting it in the actual Mishnah and reading it through. Okay. You're not talking about the last line, are you? <laughs> no, I'm just saying like in general. Yeah. yeah. So a person who does one mitzvah has acquired for himself one defense attorney. Okay. That's what a proclate is, right? It's like a, basically if you're using the core martial defense attorney, and this is a person who takes the mitzvah you did before the king. Okay. Which we're saying is, you know, again, God doesn't need to be informed to get knowledge, but the, the muscle of before the king is, is it, it sheds an objective light on who you are because you did this mitzvah, you know, like, um, and, uh, and it is, you can then like, listen to that defense attorney saying, well, what is this defense attorney saying about me? You know, what does the fact that I did this mitzvah say about, about my motives and who I am and who I, who I'm becoming, you know, and likewise, if you do an Avera, it's not just that you're going to get bad consequences and that you're going to get punishment and that it comes from an imperfection. It's that this, this Avera is testifying about the total type of person that you are and giving you information about like, like, where did this Avera come from within you? You know, what does this show about you? Like, is this a fluke or is this a, a core part of who you are? Like, did you like have a moment of like, did you, is this a momentary lapse or is this like the real self coming out? You know, like it's, it's saying bad stuff about you, but it's objective. Like it is giving you some information about yourself, you know, and you have to listen to the Avera talking and listen to what it's saying about you, you know? And that's actually related to a point that uh, Rabbi Chait mentions in, I think it's the Chuva Shir, Chuva one or Chuva two. It's in one of those that he talks about the, there's one advantage for Chuva purposes that the Chote has. Okay. Which is that after you sin, and again, I assume everyone here has done sins before, so you can relate to this Think of an example. After you sin, you do have a certain moment of clarity where you can look back. It's like, like, Oh my, my gosh, what have I done? And like, there's a flash of objective light that if you choose to sit in that, you can like, look at yourself and say like, where did that come from me? What mistakes did I make? What consequences am I going to get? And you could use that as a vehicle for Chuva, you know? Um, but most of the time we just bury that down and like move on. Yeah. Rifki. Yeah. So, and then I don't know, for some reason, I was just thinking of it as like talking to Hashem, like you were saying, like, obviously, like we know Hashem doesn't need anyone to tell him like what we're doing and how we're doing it and what we think. So is this more about how, like, in terms of how we're understanding it, is it like kind of like a little like angel and devil, like about on us as opposed to like for Hashem? The way I would depict it is the angel is speaking in front of the true judge. Okay. Meaning he's speaking before us. I mean, speaking in the world of objective reality and you are present in the courtroom on trial, listening to what the defense attorney and prosecutor are saying to you. And the reason why I don't in the angel and devil thing, it makes it sound 
almost too subjective and a war between two parts of yourself. What I'm saying here is this is saying objective truths about you before God, who is judging the total type of person you are. And that's why I want to like keep the judge in the muscle. Yeah, Vita. Why doesn't the last part fit into this idea? Okay, so I, I, it's not that it doesn't. It's just I haven't thought about it yet. So if you have an explanation for the last part, please, uh, please uh, give it. I mean, like in in some ways, in the same line, like it says, like Teshuvah is basically going back on these retributions that you did and you're showing, yeah. look, these aren't me. Otherwise, if it was me, then I wouldn't be trying to be like, okay. oh, I'm sorry about that. And the right. same thing with good deeds is like, when you go up and you do these things that like you're like affirming, this is who I am, especially okay, good. with intention. Okay, good, good. So, so, so let me just state that as the answer to the question that I had of the, uh, like what new idea is this teaching us? Because on the surface, okay, yeah, we know true and good deeds like protect you from punishment. But what Avital is doing is she's putting it in the context of the mushal, which is that the chuva and the good deeds are basically like, you know, the, the good deeds are building a case for who you really are. You know, it's kind of like in the, in the movies with, I don't know what movie I'm thinking of in, in movies where like, you know, like uh person's on trial and like all of the people in the community come in and like testify about, about the person like, Oh, he, he helped start my car. Oh, like he helped save my horse. You know, he helped like uh, whatever, you know, it's, it's all coming in and building this case and you can continue to build your case. Even if you've done time, that kind of answers a risky question of um, of like, how does a chuva help if you've already been liable for punishment is that you can still keep on like building a case that showing that you are uh, you you have remorse and that you are like changing your your your, your character. So the answer is that it, it does fit in, apparently, because it is um, it is uh, continuing to uh, give the you're strengthening your defense attorney, basically, and uh, and weakening the uh, the prosecution. Okay, that's good. Yeah, uh, Yala. Okay, so would you say as far that like, like without actions, our thoughts aren't even our, or our selves, I guess, aren't even a reality. And then like, it's literally like the idea of an Isayon kind of, where like by doing the mitzvah or whatever, yeah. we're like making it into an actuality. <laughs> and then like, or are you just saying like, no, they are in actuality, and this is giving us insight into that. Okay. Into I was actually, I'm, I'm laughing because you mentioned Nisayon. You're talking about the Rambanzai David Nisayon, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, right. So the Rambanzai David Nisayon is obviously God doesn't need to test you to know what you're uh, going to do, but that if you have a potential for something good, God can't reward you for it until you actually do it. So he'll create a, 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 an event that brings it out, you know? Um, so I think it actually depends on how you understand that idea. In other words, the way you're saying it, which I think is shot at least is that like, it's not real until you act on it, you know, but I'm inclined based on the way Rav Pesach explains in Kronos that maybe that's not the case because then we wouldn't be able to ask God to remember us for the Akeda, you know? Um, because that shows that like, you know, like, like, here's an example, like, you know, <laughs> take, uh, the Rambam. Okay. The Rambam would have brought Corbanos. If he, if the base makeup was around, I guarantee it. Okay. So like, like, it's almost like an accidental thing that he was born in an era where the base makeup was destroyed, you know? And the fact that he didn't bring, Cor you can't point to the Rama and say, Oh, he didn't bring Corbanos bad person. Of course not. Cause the Rama, if he had been in a situation where there was a he would have brought Corbanos, you know? So like, 
that would seem to say that like that the quality exists as a part of you, even if you didn't get a chance to express it in action, you know? Um, so I, I think you can make an argument from both sides. I, I don't know who, uh, I, don't, I don't know what, uh, I don't know enough about the, the like the Ramban definitely sounds like he's saying what you're saying. Uh, I, I, I don't know the answer though. Yeah. Tamar? Um, so I was originally going to uh, make a different point, but I, I want to say something about Ayala's question also. Sure. I, I, maybe I just have a question on the question. What, yeah. what are the two sides? I mean, like, certainly a person has a real internal life that isn't only right. like, doesn't only exist when you act, right? Like, so well, what's, the, yeah, what's the side? Okay. Like, yes, but here's the thing is that as you are a human being who is this hybrid creature of Tzalmelokim and, and physical body, you know? And you are like, that is really what, you know, mitzvos, you know, like there's, um, okay. I, I, there's a, 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 an expression that's used by Chazal that I'm going to like take out of context. Like lo, lo Torah God didn't give the, the Torah wasn't given to the angels. Torah was given to physical beings with minds, you know? And like, there is, I, I see an argument that like, we are, rewarded and punished for the actions that the unified organism does. And in fact, I'll tell you how far it goes. And, you know, the Ramam holds Olam Haba is not physical, right? But other Rishonim hold that Olam Haba is in this world and that some of them go so far as to explain that why does Trias Mesim happen? Because since you did mitzvot with your body and your soul, your body needs to be brought back in order to get reward. In other words, the reward needs to be given to that that joint creature to the body soul. And those we shown him hold that that's why the ultimate state of man is not in a non-physical Olam Haba like the Ramam, but in a, in, in as the creature Adam, which is a physical being in this world with both, you know? So I, I, I'm not making an argument based on reason. I'm just saying like indications in, in the Bali Masora who like would, would seem to indicate that like, no, you really are rewarded for like what you do, not just like what you think or feel. Uh, and yeah, there is a reality to like think thoughts and feelings, but the the system of scarva onish goes by your actions or your inactions. That I think so this is it. only about scarva onish, not about like how much of a tzaddik you are or something. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that, I, that 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 might be a question that's up for debate. You know, uh, definitely this is about onish, right? Because it says that it's uh, this is a shield against a uh, punishment, right? So yeah, I don't know. Okay, um, I could say something else, but maybe if Ayala wants to say something still on this point, or is it something else? Yeah, go ahead, Ayala. Yeah, just like the Ramam about Shuva Gumura, would that help this point of saying that, like, even if you would make the right decision, if you don't, if you're never actually in that situation again and never actually get to make the right decision, yeah, then it doesn't, it's not right. Shuva so that, that, that brings us into the question about Chuva Gamora. Is the Ramam saying that you actually have to be in the exact same situation to do Chuva Gamora, or is that just the litmus test and you don't actually have to be in the exact same situation? That's the classic question that I also debate every uh, every year. So, so good proof if that's how you learn that halacha. Yeah, Tamar, okay, yeah, I mean. I, I still feel like this comes out very clearly on one side. Like, I feel like you could learn all this stuff as having to do with the fact that like your actions affect you in a different way, way than non-actions affect you. Right. You know, like, yeah. but okay. I mean, so I, 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 yeah. I would call it just to, uh, uh, just to support that. I would call that the Sefer Chinook approach. Sefer Chinook says all over the place that our thoughts are drawn after our actions and like our hearts are drawn after, after what we do. Right. So like you could have a great sadik and if you make him do evil actions, he'll become evil and vice versa. And you could say that that's what the Ramban meant, that, that yeah, Avram had this quality, but 
God couldn't reward him for it until he brought it out through Nisan. I don't know what that means is that Avraham doesn't really get shaped by this quality until he actually enacts it, you know, and, and, and that's what the, the scar is. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, yeah, I just feel like, you know, you can learn, you could like, there's like, I don't know what here her tube is. So I don't want to start quoting phrases that, you know, whatever, but like, um, you know, you can, you can have an internal change that doesn't immediately bear itself out in actions. It's not like you're the same person that you were before you did that. You know, I I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, I was going to, yeah, I was going to say separately. I I really like this idea. I'm I'm a little bit wondering why though it's, it's talking about only mythos and Averos as like a lens. I mean, okay. Those, those, I guess are a very sort of like an easy hook to notice when you are doing something, but I feel like in theory, any of your actions, um, sometimes you do an action and it surprises you. And I feel like that, Right. Could also be a lens so to learning what, about yourself. What is interesting, by the way, is I don't know if this is entirely within uh, uh, a mitzvah and avera frameworks because the proclate echad and avera achas is, but then tshuva and masim tovim are perfection terms, right? Like that are beyond Torah and mitzvahs. Like, sorry, beyond mitzvah, particular mitzvahs and averos, you know? So, so perhaps in taking together, then like, you know, it, it, he's covering uh, all the bases, you know, the, the halakhic system and then the uh, lifni mishur sedin. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, ready for the second idea? So this, all the stuff we read in the Rambam, I, I don't know if you noticed, uh, despite all my, my warnings, all the stuff in the Rambam didn't really like actually lead to this idea of the proclate and the Kategor thing, okay? But where does it lead? To Rabbeinu Bachia, okay? Uh, and and he, um, he does quote the Rambam, but I don't know if what I'm about to read is, uh, is, reflects that, okay? This, I think this is his own idea. So Rabbeinu Bachia on the... Oh, sorry. Actually, I first saw this hinted at in the Rosh Bam. We don't have the Rosh Bam's commentary on Pirkei Avos, but this Midrash Shmuel, who's one of the Akronim, quotes him and says, what does it mean, kana lo, that he acquires for himself? He says, the pious one, uh, which I, I think that's referring to um, Elias ben Yaakov, wrote that the word for himself, or it's referring to the Rosh Bam, wrote that the word for himself alludes to the idea that if you have been righteous, you have been righteous for yourself. And if you have scoffed, then you alone will bear your punishment, which is uh, loosely based on the Pasuk and Mishle. The Pasuk and Mishle says, Im chachamta, chachamta lach, tisa. So this is the idea that, you know, your mitzvot don't benefit God at all and your averse don't harm him, right? It's only for your benefit and harm. Okay. So check out this Rabbeinu Bakya. Okay. It's uh, some people, this would cause them to like, like, like choke on their soup. Okay. But I feel like everyone uh, here, um, like, uh, I think has been learning in similar enough circles that this won't come as a total shock, but just, it's always good. Let me back up for a second. It's always good when you see a Rishon say stuff in such explicit terms that like, like you're like, okay, I've wanted, I've said this before, but it's just nice to see like confirmed in, in, in these terms. Okay. So let's see. Rabin Baka says, the mitzvah itself is a, a proclete for him. Okay. So explanation of proclete is a, uh, uh, intercessor for merit. So, so far, same as the Rambam. The mitzvah itself is the intercessor and it is the reward. So too, the kategor is the uh, intercessor for liability. And the kategor is the avira that, that itself that accompanies him. It is his punishment. Because a measure of darkness will fall upon him. Okay, now that's just part of his commentary. Okay. Um, uh, can anyone bring a proof? For his statement that the that the mitzvah is is uh, is its own reward, 
or that the Avera is its own punishment? I don't remember the source, but I feel like there's a place that says like doing a mitzvah brings another mitzvah and ah yes, and vice versa. Okay, so it's even better than that. Okay, you you, you thought of the source that I was thinking of. In fact, I don't even know where it is. I think it's in the second chapter of Pirkei Avos. I think I gave Shira on it last year, actually. Uh, not the second chapter. Is this the mitzvah goras mitzvah? That's what uh, what Yael is saying. But here's the here's the line. Ben Azai Omer, have you brought to the mitzvah kala kavachamora? Run to a light mitzvah like a stringent mitzvah. Uborech min avera and flee from an avera. Shem mitzvah goras mitzvah of avera goras avera. Because one mitzvah drags along another another mitzvah and one avera drags along an avera. Sheschar mitzvah mitzvah ushar avera avera. The reward of a mitzvah is a mitzvah and the reward of an avera is an avera. Okay, so it, like it says it like explicit terms, right? Okay, so the Rebbein Baruch goes on. He says, the sages expounded, a person who does one mitzvah, it will precede him and escort him to Olam Haba. As it is stated, your righteousness will walk before you. But one who transgresses an Avera, it will attach itself to him like a shroud and lead him to judgment day. As it is stated, they were shrouded in the ways of their path. They mount in the void and are lost. Okay, that's some cryptic thing in Eov. I've already mentioned this in the first chapter of the statement of Antignos. Okay, oh, I forgot to actually put Antignos here. So uh, if you look at Antignos, this is the famous statement that started the Tzedukim by mistake. Okay, Antignos ish socho kibel mishimon hatzadik. Actually, let's look at the accurate version. So Antignos, the man of Soho, received the Torah from Shimon Hatzadik. Who haya omer? He said, Al tihu kavadim hamashamshin asarav amanas kabo pras. Do not be like servants who serve the master uh, in order to receive reward. Rather, be like servants who serve the master with the intention to not receive a uh, sorry, a prize, not a reward, a prize, uh, with the intention to not receive a prize. And the fear of heaven should be upon you. So the Rambam says that this is alluding to the idea of Lishma, that you shouldn't serve God to get a prize. We should serve God because he is Hashem and because he is the source of all reality. Um, but then Sadok and Baisos were these two students of Antignos, and they said, oh, why is the teacher saying to not serve, to serve God, to not receive a reward? There must be no reward. And then they, they went off and became heretics and, and started the Tzedukim and the Baisusim. Okay, so don't do that. All right, but let's go on. Um, he says, so now what does Rabbeinu Bakhya say on that Mishnah? He says like this. It is fitting to explain that included in the words of the sage Antignos, we may understand another trustworthy principle and a lofty level in the glorious splendor of the greatness of mitzvahs, namely that the mitzvah and the reward are not two things, but one thing for a mitzvah is light. And that light is a resource for the soul. Therefore, they said the reward of a mitzvah is a mitzvah, which means to say that the mitzvah itself is its own reward. The only one who will be ignorant of this is someone who has drunk the bitter waters and has not merited to drink from the rivers flowing with the honey of Torah and its hidden contents. So this is always difficult. He's going into very poetic, um, metaphorical language about the mitzvah being light and, uh, and, and, and you know, bitter water stuff. Okay. Um, and he says, I didn't get a chance to translate this before Shira, so I'm going to translate it here. He says, this is what Antigno said to his students. And he quotes the Mishnah. But in the end, the idea is like this. Oh, sorry, sorry. Don't think that the mitzvah and the reward for it are two different things. They're only one thing. That the soul, when it does a mitzvah, the light of the mitzvah will shine upon it. And that itself is the Gan Eden of the souls. Okay. 
Okay, I, I can't claim to explain everything that he's saying, okay? But uh, I'm going to try to explain some stuff. And then he quotes that Chazal that he quoted before about like the mitzvah accompanies you to uh, Gan Eden. Okay, then he says, Another thing you need to understand, no, we don't need to understand this. I know he says you do, but um, I just want to read this last part. Oh, no, that's all I wanted. Okay, yeah. So the question is, what is he talking about, right? That the mitzvah is its own reward and you get light and you get, uh, and, and it's, you, and uh, when you do it in a very good darkness and the light's what takes you to Olam Haba and the darkness like puts you in shrouds and to judgment day and like this, the mitzvah and its reward are not two different things. Like what idea is he getting at here in your own words? And what does that have to do with this prokli thing? He's trying to say that that's what it means that the prokli, the prokli is the mitzvah, which is its own reward. So can we make sense of any of this? <laughs> difficult okay i'm gonna i'm gonna answer based on something that we have read in some share before okay and again i i think this is the most important malbim in eov okay this is the the malbim in eov on 35.8 uh and i think that this idea even though we read it i feel like we read this fairly recently um uh oops that's not the puzzle in eov um uh I feel like this is exactly what Rabbeinu Bachia is saying. And this is going to shed light on why I read all those Ramams earlier. Okay. Uh, let me just get this Pusik in Eov. So this is Eov in Elihu's answer, which is the true answer. Uh, and the Pusik says, uh, and uh, yeah, hold on. Im tzedakta matitain lo, oma yikach miyadacha. If you were righteous, what did you give to him? What did you give to God? Or what can you take, uh, what can he take from your hand? So we say this in the Ila, by the way. Okay. We say, if we are righteous, what can we give you? So the Mabim says like this. Um, oh, sorry. This is not the Pasuk. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's two Pasukim. Sorry. <laughs> I copied the wrong thing. Okay. Um, I copied one of the... Okay, so it should be like this. Uh, if if you were righteous, what what can you give him? Okay, uh, or what can you uh, he he take from your hand? Okay, then the second part is Ish uh, Rishacha Adam Kasacha. To your right, wickedness only injures someone like yourself, and your righteousness is helpful uh, only to another human being. That's how the Malbim translated it. Okay, so what does this mean? So the Malbim explains. Your wickedness injures only your, someone like yourself. The wickedness you commit that harms others only injures another human being like yourself, but does not affect God at all. Similarly, the evil that man does to himself is damaging only to him. In the same vein, your righteousness is helpful only to another human being. That being said, how can you seek out extrinsic, re- extrinsic reward from Hashem for this or request that he intervene in the particulars to mete out punishment to the Russia? To demand this would be to suggest that man's actions benefit him or harm him. Okay, leave that alone because that's a Tzadik Baralo question. Here's what I want to get to. This may be compared to the following. An ill patient doesn't seek out a reward from his physician in payment for obeying his instructions to safeguard his health, nor does the physician punish the patient if he fails to heed, to heed his warnings. And I want to read this in the Hebrew just so you know I'm not making it up. Not that I make stuff up, but... Uh, for the reward and punishment are 
consequent upon the action itself. Ratuf means like it follows from the action itself. If he obeys the physician's instructions, he will be healed from his sickness. And that is his reward. If he doesn't obey, he will die. And that is his punishment. This reward and punishment are not meted out by the physician, but by the patient himself. Okay, that's what he says. Um, so we understand the muscle, right? You go to the, the doctor with a condition and you say, uh, what can I do? And he says, take this medicine. And you say, well, what will you give me if you, if I take this medicine? And he looks at you like you're an idiot because what he's not going to give you anything. You take the medicine and that's going to cure you. And if you don't take the medicine, you're going to get sicker, right? So like, that's what he means uh, that it's, it's bound up to the action itself. Okay, so so too, he says, similarly, the reward for good actions is the good path itself since he acquires perfection of his soul by following it. And if he does good for others, he will enjoy the benefits from the society in which he lives. Conversely, one who does evil corrupts his soul and his flesh. And if he does evil to others, he will suffer from the wickedness of the society. Okay, then he goes on and says, Hashem arranged the creation of man in such a way that reward and punishment are embedded in nature. Whether in regards to the man himself, or in regards to the perfection of society. Okay, I, I, I omitted the society parts because I want to focus on, on the, the person himself. Regarding to yourself, if you follow the path to happiness, with proper ethical conduct and control of your lust, you will naturally enjoy a happy physical existence. And he quotes a bunch of Psukim and Mishle to say the opposite. If you live in the opposite manner, you will naturally suffer harm. Okay, he quotes a bunch of Psukim. For the guzzler and the gorger will be poor and slumber will clothe you in rags and the lust of the lazy person will kill him. For anger will annihilate the fool and envy causes bones to rot and sharp wounds purge evil. And if an individual indulges in pleasures to excess, he will become seriously ill for the harlot will kill many a strong person. The same is true. Oh, I didn't copy the whole thing. Okay, but we get the point. Okay, so the point is that the way that reward and punishment are designed is that the mitzvot's are not something you do in exchange for reward. The mitzvah itself rewards you by giving you perfection. Okay. And that's what he means when he says that when you do a mitzvah, there's a light that is shed on your soul, which is that it actually changes the way that you view things and that you live either through giving you ideas uh, and removing false ideas or by perfecting your mitos and removing bad mitos, which mitos, bad mitos distort your perception of reality and good mitos help it. Or by creating a society which is conducive to gaining more chachma and uh, and and perfection, you know. So uh, I'm gonna just uh, before I call you, I'm just gonna tie this back to the Rebbeinu Bachia. So that's what I think Rebbeinu Bachia means is he's saying that that uh, he's interpreting the Mishnah. So that's what he means when he says the mitzvah and the reward are one and the same, and schar mitzvah mitzvah. The reward for mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. You know that mitzvos are good. That's what the Rama meant when he said. That the you know a real person who's a, a Ovid Me'ava doesn't want God's the reward for God's mitzvahs. He wants the mitzvahs themselves because that is the reward. You know. So, what does this have to do with the Mishnah? So we were learning the Mishnah as a defense attorney. The muscle is that he gives you he presents information about what kind of person you are. Okay, but I think the way that the Rebbe is learning it is that the mitzvah is the person who actually sorry. The mitzvah is the thing that actually vindicates you or actually convicts you. The very thing that actually convicts you. In other words, the mitzvah itself is making you into the type of person who is 
liable for this, uh, sorry, who deserves this reward or making to the type of person who deserves this punishment. Now, I don't know why he has to go into the courtroom, Marshall. I like, that's why I like the interpretation we, we gave better. But that, to me, that seems to be how the Rabina Bakhi is taking it, that like, like, I feel like I'm missing a step. Let me call on Avital and then if someone could help uh, flesh out the idea, then we'll do it. Yeah, Avital. I had two questions on that. Yeah. First is, um, if, okay, well, first of all, what would he say then about like the Rambam's whole idea of like not doing it for the sake of like, oh, I lost something. Olam my Haba, Olam Haba. What, what do we say about the Rambam saying that if you do it for Olam Haba, then, uh, then uh, that's low, that's uh, Ovid Mira. Is that what you're going to ask? Yeah. 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 Okay, good. So um, I have a whole theory uh, on that, which I will um, share the link to because uh, I don't have time to go through it right now, but I'll give you the uh, cliff notes. Um, so this is a post. I, no, not that one. Uh, this is a post I wrote where I summarize all of the, all of the explanations in the Rishonim about why the Torah doesn't mention Olam Haba. Um, uh, so you can look at that. So I have a theory about, uh, about why, according to the Ramam, the Torah doesn't mention Olam Haba. And that's because according to the Ramam, Olam Haba is purely non-physical and there is no way to know, uh, what Olam Haba is in Olam, uh, is like in Olam Hazad. And that's what he says in, uh, in Hilos Tshuva Perik, uh, Ches, he says, um, Yeah. Uh, this great good that's, that the soul will enjoy in Olam Haba, there is no way in this world to apprehend it or to know it. The only thing we know in this world is the goods of the body. That's what we want. That good in Olam Haba is very great. You can only compare it with the goods of this world by way of Marshall. Um, sorry. You cannot compare it. You can only compare it by way of analogy. But in truth, you can't compare the two. So my theory is that when the Ramam is talking about the person doing mitzvahs for Olam Haba, if you're being motivated by Olam Haba, it must be a fantasy version of Olam Haba. Because you can't imagine the actual goods of Olam Haba such that it could be a motivator. You know, you, you, there's no way to imagine. In other words, in order to be motivated by something, you have to have some conception of it. And since you can't have any conception of Olam Haba, all you can do is know that it exists, then it can't motivate you. So the, the Olam Haba that this guy's being motivated by is a fantasy Olam Haba. But if you were doing Mitzvah Lishma, knowing that you're going to get Olam Haba, but not being motivated by the Olam Haba, that would be, that would be Olam Haba. But there is something in the fact that like, it's so great that I can't even imagine it. That could motivate. Yeah, but 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 the, what what is actually going on when you say that is when you say it's so great, you're comparing it to other great things that you know, and just imagining that quantitatively it's better. You know, because it, it, you know it's like the wrong, the analogy he gives is good in Chelik when he says it's like we can know Olam Haba like a blind man knows colors. Like a person who's been blind from birth can't have any concept of colors, you know? So if you said to him like, oh, like, you know how great it is to hear stuff? Yeah. You know how great it is to like smell stuff? Yeah. To touch stuff? Yeah. To taste stuff? Yeah. Well, there's another thing, you know? So like he can get the intellectual slot that like, okay, there's another sense, but there's nothing that can actually like 
that that like sight is not at all the same experientially as sound, you know. So he can't get any like inkling of it that can like motivate him, you know. So th- th- that's that's my understanding of of this Rama. But you know, if you want to read my full argument, then then read that uh, link I posted because that's uh, that's where I really talk it out. Can I just one more comment on that? Yeah, sure, sure. I feel like we make a lot of different statements about God that like we really can't connect him at all to like human, these human characteristics or these human traits, but like, yet we do that in order to, for it to be something that in some way we can relate to. So like right. <clears throat> that you're saying with like Olam Hava would be an incorrect way of, of relating to it. Yeah. And the reason why is like this is because with God, then there are only two types of terms we use about him. There are terms that are, uh, negations of, uh, uh, of like his, uh, of like, um, of who he is, who he is. Let's say like when we use the term one, we really mean he's not multiple or not two, you know, and that's an intellectual idea that we can't relate to like emotionally. Okay. And then all the terms that are emotionally rich are really descriptions of God's actions, you know, which are things that we can actually perceive and relate to in the world, you know? Um, but Olam Haba is in neither of those categories. Um, that is Olamaba is a motivator. Like we can understand intellectually, like you can have proofs that the soul is eternal, but you can't have any motivation for Olamaba, according to the Ramam. Yeah, Th- that's definitely a, a lot more to talk about. And like, I'd be happy to answer your questions. You, we can follow up uh, uh, on that. Um, uh, I, I know I said this before, but like, you know, there is a, a, a WhatsApp group for the uh, Mishle sheer but like feel if anyone wants to start like an after discussion thing for this feel free to, to do that but i don't want to like force anyone to do that so whatever um but we can we it, it's an important idea but uh uh yeah reread the thing i wrote first and, and it'll, or just read the end of it and it'll flesh it out a little bit okay any other questions so the question we're left with yeah yeah, my question is how to maybe your, this is your question about how to relate the second idea with the muscle of the prosecutor. Mm-hmm. Just trying to understand how. Yeah. That adds. Yeah. So, so th- that's idea. the part I feel like I don't fully have developed, which is that. A pro- so let me try state uh, rev- revving up to state it the way, the way I did before, and I am going to stop here soon, by the way, because we're over time. Um, that the way we had it was a the muscle of the prosecutor and the defense attorney is that the they are presenting a case of who you are before God, meaning from the standpoint of objective truth. And that motivates us by like encouraging us to look at mitzvot as tools for self-knowledge to constantly get an updated picture of who we are. Okay. Rabinu Bachia seems to be learning it as the defense attorney is the one who, if he if he wins, you will be vindicated in court. And if you lose, and, and, and the prosecutor is the one who, if you lose, it'll be because of him. And so it sounds like he's saying, so he's saying the mitzvah itself is what like put the very itself is what puts you in jail. And the mitzvah itself is what like releases you, you know? Um, but why do you need to personify it is going to be the question here. Yeah, that's the part that is not as satisfying. Okay, so I, I don't I don't know how how he uh, unifies that with the uh, Mishnah, but it is an important idea. Which, by the way, I think really does you know tie together really nicely the Ramams in uh, in uh, chapter ten of Chuva because it really is the um, you know someone who does Mitzvah Lishma will really view 
the mitzvahs as their own reward, you know, um, or according to my way of looking at it, well, that's like the, the developmental stage. Um, but at least we got one idea about how to view mitzvahs and let's just bring it back to our original thing here, which is that, um, what I'm about to say is true year round, but there, certainly during the Aserus Mei Teshuva, like I would say, like, look at your mitzvahs and Averos like this and, uh, and use it as feedback tools, use them as feedback tools and ask yourself, like, like, I think it is okay, especially during the Aserus Mei Teshuva. Let's say you're about to do something, which is an Avera or even a waste of time, you know, and just ask myself, like, look, this is a time when God is judging who I am, you know, whatever that means. And if I'm going to do this, what does that say about me as a person? Like, is this action that I'm about to do, is that really my true values? Well, if it is, then maybe I shouldn't do it. And if it's not, then why am I doing it? You know, and, and same thing with the mitzvahs of like, like, let's say you tell yourself that you're someone who values tzedakah, you know, like I'm sure, I'm sure every one of us on a multiple choice thing would, would click like, yeah, I value tzedakah. Well, ask yourself like, are you giving tzedakah during the Aserah Shuva? And if you are, then you're living in line with your values. And that's like the whole point. If you're not though, why are you not giving tzedakah? Like if that really is who you are, like then, I mean, what do you think, what do you think the prosecutor is saying about you when you say, but you're not giving tzedakah right now, you know, like that's what the defense attorney is saying, or sorry, the prosecutor is saying like, look, if this, if, you know, if, if this person really like valued tzedakah, they would be giving it now, you know? So like, I think this just is a very interesting tool that you can use to increase your tzedakah and good actions during this time period. And then hopefully throughout the year as well. But uh, I think, you know, we often need like an extra little, like, like oomph here. And I find that it's best when the oomph is a new idea. And I find it's even better when it's a new like framework for processing everything. And I, I, I that's what I got out of this Mishnah. Okay. Uh, I'll take any other questions. And if not, then we'll end tonight. Okay, you know how to reach me if you have questions. Um, next Thursday, there's definitely no shear. And then Friday morning is TBD. And it might be TBD, like, like I might, like basically what's going to happen is I'm going to go on the plane. And like, if there's a shear that pops out by the other end of, of the flight, then like, we'll probably have a shear over Zoom on Friday. And if not, then we won't. Okay, so uh, stay tuned for Friday. Okay, have a Gamar uh, Chasimatova. Good luck on all your chuva and your masim tovim, uh, and uh, hope you get a lot of uh, prokhlit and uh, and uh, you chop down some kategors. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah content fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss and my Zelle slash Chase QuickPay and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor an article, share, or podcast episode, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewas at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.